0: The management team that develops the policy really can't do that in an isolated cocoon. They really need to engage a large spectrum of voices so that the policy makes sense. Folks who administer the policy have to understand the importance of consistency and the legal risk associated with not being consistent.
1: Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Hey, welcome to the show today, Uh, a hot topic, one that I know affects many of our listeners, and we've got not one, but two guests who both bring their expertise to the show today. We have both a business psychologist and an employment attorney who are going to be helping us navigate, thrive, and lead in hybrid workplaces. Our guests today are Felice Eckleman and Julie Cantor. Um, Felice is a principal of Jackson Lewis, PC, where she practices employment law. And you might have seen her quoted in Bloomberg News, Wall Street Journal, Lexology, Law 360. Uh, and Julie is the business psychologist, executive coach, advisor, and founder of J.P. Cantor Consulting, regular contributor to Forbes on leadership and employee engagement. And they both live in New York City. And so welcome to the show, Julie. Felice, are you, are you both in New York City right now?
0: Uh, Oh, I am certainly. I don't know, Felice, are you here right now? (laughs) I am here right now as well. And um, usually one of us is in the office and one is at home because that's always like a nice way to do a podcast. But unfortunately, I see that we are both home today. And I think we attribute that to uh, the
1: mad rush to get things done before the holidays. Absolutely. We are listeners. We're recording here, I think, uh, right before the holidays. In fact, I think you are my final recording. Uh, Before uh, I shut down the recording studio here for a couple of weeks so Uh, and uh, we're here in season 15 leadership without losing your soul and Felice and Julie to get to know you just a little bit better we've got your bio and got some of your expertise want to ask each of you if you could take us back to your earliest memory of yourself as a leader. And when I say earliest, some people go back to their first work job or or leadership role. Some people take it all the way back to when they were five years old in kindergarten. So you can take it wherever you want to, your earliest role. And uh, Julie, we'll throw it to you first, and then Felice will come over to you.
2: Um. Yeah, no, that's a really good, good question to go really young. Um, but... Um... Let me think. I mean, once it's actually not as young, but um, perhaps it's uh, an interesting was that um, I wasn't that young. I was actually uh, an adult, but uh, my kids were swimmers in a, um, a local we live in a lake, a local swim team. And I was president of the swim team. So it meant dealing with a team of high performing Uh, volunteers as well as the whole constituency of the um, all the swimmers and of note was running a um, a championship meet was for about 5,000 people again all volunteer but all swimming and (laughs) looking for medals and things like that so it's interesting sort of when you're bringing your professional expertise and having to then translate it to the volunteer world.
1: One of my uh, favorite leadership principles uh, from my time leading in the nonprofit and and volunteer world, as well as all the work done corporately, is that everyone is a volunteer. We maybe get paid something, but we're all making choices about how much, how well and and so forth. So it's uh, I think that's such a valuable experience for everybody. Uh, Felice, how about you?
0: Well, I got an early one and I also had a few more minutes than Julie did to respond, so maybe that helped. Um, but my earliest recollection of a true leadership experience dates back to summer camp. So I was blessed to have been sent to a sleepaway camp. And as part of that experience, the camp had the highlight of the summer, which was color war, where the camp is divided into two teams. And I was about 12 or 13, and I was a color war captain. And That was quite a big deal because I was leading uh, half the camp's campers uh, in uh, battle against, uh, I don't remember the other color, but uh, (laughs) I feel like it might have been blue and white or blue and yellow. I'm not really sure. And don't ask me if we won because I don't. (laughs) But I remember very distinctly uh, the responsibility of being the captain and assembling everyone at the flagpole remember the flagpole at the flagpole several times a day to plan for the day's competition so um I think I was 12 going on 13.
1: oh wow those are memories that you, uh, clear, and you do you hold on to those your whole life and they make such a, an impression. I'm. Uh, I listened to an episode of This American Life where they talked all about the color war. I I went to summer camp, but we didn't have a color war. We had a big water water fight with the uh, the staff versus the campers. But the uh, the color war seemed to be intense, <laughs> like lifelong memories of those things. Big <laughs> deal. Big deal.
0: <laughs> Culminating, if I'm remembering, a tug of war where it felt like half the you know the whole camp was holding on to a rope. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, good stuff! Good stuff. Well, those those memories of people of pulling people together and, and assembling and and doing something bigger than any one of us could do. Obviously, core to leadership. So, uh, Felice and Julie have written a book. The book is called Thrive with a Hybrid Workplace: Step by Step Guidance from the Experts. And so, as I said, we've got uh, both a business psychologist and employment attorney here. So, when we talk about the experts, they've got the expertise to help us lead and navigate this changing world of hybrid workplaces. So um, in the introduction, you guys describe yourself, Julie and Felice, you say, Julie helps clients grow, Felice helps clients avoid risk. So these different perspectives that you're bringing to this topic of hybrid work. And so, you know, this is a big topic. We have a limited amount of time, so I, I, but I always like to start with definitions so that we know what we're talking about because that word hybrid means so many different things to so many different people. And there's a difference between like a hybrid workplace and then say a hybrid meeting, you know, and those kinds of things. So how do you define hybrid? What what are we exactly we talking about today?
0: Um, I'll take it, Julie. So an individual can have a hybrid schedule. Some days in the office, some days not in the office. From the perspective of a leader, they could have a hybrid team. Some folks in the office all the time, some folks remote all the time, and some folks on a hybrid schedule. And so what's really emerged and what the focus of the challenge for leaders today is how to manage folks in different places and different times, combined with all the other uh, challenges associated with leading a team. So I think that's what we mean when we talk, when, when we talk about managing and thriving in a hybrid workplace as a leader. We, we also, and Julie especially focuses on how an individual can thrive working in a hybrid environment, because that's a change from what we used to have.
1: Absolutely. And I love some of the uh, elements later in the book that we'll be sure and get to 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 help with that. And uh, Julie, what would you add?
2: I just want to say, David, I think what's most telling and informative is the fact that the first question you ask is defining hybrid. And I think that, believe it or not, is probably exhibit A through Z because that's what we're living through right when we did the book um there's you know the whole section on policy we were very detailed about all the different options that are possible we, you know we were just um this was new um and people are still working on it um i think like i said i don't think you realize just how spot on that question is but Felice and I, in both of our practices, it is what organizations are struggling with. Um, It is what individuals are struggling with, just the definition and finding what's relevant for them.
1: absolutely. And well, and it's also, it's why I was excited to have you uh, as guest today because it is so emerging and all of the different elements of what it can mean, how it works and, uh, you know, looking at the the data lately, you know uh felice you were mentioning some of the challenges managers have so gallup you know in their latest data we've been talking about it a lot on the show uh and different guests that, that we've uh, we've had on that for the the highest ma- level of manager disengagement in the history of the gallup survey right that managers are, are facing difficulties right now and challenges and learning how to do things they've never had to do increasing needs of the workforce for connection you know, uh, transparency, authenticity, vulnerability, the uh, the, the purpose in there, where all of those things, which are all good human-centered characteristics, and then a shifting, changing workplace like hybrid, like massive cross time zones, matrixed organizations, all those kinds of things. So today we're talking about the hybrid aspect of that, but yeah, I agree with you that that uh, need is so pressing and certainly creates a lot of challenges, doesn't it?
2: Well, I, I think that, you know, one of the things that I say is I had a job before hybrid. So, you know, leadership, you know, you, you've been a business, you've been doing this for a long time, right? We all, leaders needed help in in navigating their jobs and the challenges way before hybrid, right? And so now we've, we've added in hybrid. And one of the words we use throughout the book is this concept of intentionality, that mm-hmm. people need to think about things that they didn't used to have, have to think about. And I can't tell you how many clients have some said some version or literally, Julie, this is way beyond my pay grade. And these are senior level people. But, you know, having to deal with these connections, you know, how to connect people, people are bringing their personal lives more into the works, And at the end of the day, they need to have a productive team and engaged team. Um, So it's a whole, you know, the, the challenges and then. You know, who's coming in today? Where are they coming from? How are they, you know, we connecting, etc. And just the tasks that leaders are faced with now um, are enormous. And so one of the things, you know, just even in terms of the step by step, we wrote the book as a very user friendly book. You know, it's not, you know, we're, Felice and I both are graduate, you know, it's not a theoretical book that you'd get in graduate school. Um, It's very practical. And it's also detailed to the point that if you are having an issue with communication or culture or the policy or DEI, you can look in the contents and go to that chapter and it gives you the background. It gives you really specific things to help you work and navigate through this world
1: it certainly does that and you know coming back to that word that that you mentioned uh Julie intentionality and that you know what's interesting i was uh well, who was i i think it was seth godin uh that i was reading one day and he was making the point that as we are navigating this whole complex workplace that intentionality is so key but just because we took it for granted before doesn't mean we shouldn't have been being intentional about things then. And I thought that point was so well-made and I loved as you get going in, in the book with well, the key to everything is intentionality. So let's dive a little bit more into what do we mean by intentionality in the context we're talking about? But there's a couple
0: of ways in which it applies Uh, to the creation of the organization's point of view towards hybrid or flexible work. So hybrid work is just a kind of flexible work that deals with where the work is performed. Um, The when is uh, maybe the subject of another book, but um, where work is performed is really just about uh, flexibility. But organizations should not... Uh, as Julie and I have said, fight over numbers of days. So what we've been reading about in the press since the wind down of the pandemic is uh, large organizations in particular are fighting about, is it four days in the office, is it three days, is it five days in the office? And the argument is about numbers of days as opposed to, well, why are we asking people to come to an office? Because a lot of employees out there, and while the economy is changing, um, there's still a lot of demand for a lot of kinds of employees and it's a competitive market in recruitment and retention. and Most employees view the ability to work from home some of the time as a huge employee benefit. And so the question is, why are we going to deny that benefit? Why do we have to have everyone in the office every day or four days a week or three days a week? And an organization has to be intentional about what is it. That is the basis for a reason for asking folks to come together to work together in a particular workplace. That's the f- the first premise in which intentionality
1: uh, is necessary. Why do we have a rule? Well, let's start with that then. Um, and, and, and Julie, I want to come back to you a bit, or maybe dive a little deeper on this as we talk about this. Why? You've done a lot of work and helped a lot of organizations navigate these these questions. What are some of the most meaningful, intentional whys that you're finding? I'm going yeah, to put, so, put out there the unintentional or the less meaningful whys are because it's more convenient for me as a manager. Not a great right, why. Right. So, the the real whys?
0: why is because people get work done better when they are together. And do folks need to be together? every single minute that they're working well in some organizations the answer might be yes and in other organizations the answer might be no but employees leaders and every level of uh, the organization have to buy into the decision, meaning that we need to be together some of the time so that we can do X, Y, and Z, because we do X, Y, and Z better in person than we do over a platform like the one we're on right now.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, just sort of digging into that a little bit more. It's a lot of work For an organ for a manager to decide, we are in a creative business. Let's do some math about how much activity, as Felice was saying, should be done in a joint manner, right? Versus there are probably going to be a higher number of people who need to come together in you know face by face to face versus somebody who you know, or as in tech support in an organization, right? Where it's, you know, they're more individual. So their need to come together is going to be less per week than than the former. The, the challenge for leaders is they have to think about that. Like Felice said, we, you know, the conversations we're hearing is like, you know, two or three days and, and we I've come to say, that's just a silly policy. And so, intentional refers to the fact that you have to think about things you didn't used to think about um another example i have a client and they're um a talent agency how do they you know so a lot of them are working individually but how did they learn they learn by you know i've got a call with a potential client hey david hey felice just come in and listen and do they make people come in for that, right? It's like, and then for folks, it's like, well, you know, I don't really want to come in and what's the value of training? So again, leaders need to think about how much time do they need to spend training somebody in what way whereas before we're all in the office five days a week it's sort of serendipity you know felice has got an interesting client she knows i'm interested in that industry she's going to come to my office and say hey julie come in she's not gonna you know reach out to you and say david can you schedule a zoom do you want to come in um so again intentionality we refer to things and I think I love what you said in terms of they should have been thinking about this before that people need to be thinking about. And so what we did through the book is try to raise the fact of these are the things you need to think about.
1: You know, when we're talking about the the things you need to think about, so some of that you just highlighted, there's the, the learning that happens uh, when we're kind of shoulder to shoulder and near proximity, it's easy to easier to kind of. Learn by diffusion or expertise that can rub off in a quick consult where, when we're not, takes a lot more intentionality there. Uh, getting work done effectively, Felice, you were mentioning that there are some kinds of work where, it's, where we're going to work more effectively. We're in the same physical space, if that's available. And I mean, then the other,
0: Yeah, the other thing is organizations understand that there's value in that serendipitous meetup. You know, people call it water cooler moments. It's a thing. It really, it really is. People make connections, and as people make personal connections, they get to know one another, and they're much more likely to. Uh, you know, ask for help to engage, and when they're assigned to do something together, to have that connection that they can rely on to get the work done uh, in a more seamless and enjoyable way. The the other thing that that I think organizations and individuals realize is that when you know the people at work and you like the people that you work with, you're much more likely to stick around. And so organizations that are facing a lot of turnover are learning that the reason for the turnover in part is due to the absence of any connection to the job other than, you know, the work itself, which For most people is not enough. You know, some people will say the job's okay, but I love the people I work with. Well, Mm -hmm. you're never going to love the people you work with if you don't know the people you work with. And how do you get to know at least some of the people you work with? Again, while some people can do it over the phone and some people can do it on virtual platforms like meeting platforms, like the one that we're on, most people get to know people, happy hour, lunch, water cooler moments. And, and, And that's what gets people to stick around in a job longer.
1: So as you think about these things and these intentional moments and intentional connections and intentional work, what are some of the ways that leaders can be thinking about and you go through so many and you've got the the 7 Cs of leadership once you've got a formal policy in place and everything and then the all of the ways that you lead through these, but I'm curious as you think about it if let's say I'm in a situation where there really isn't a, a a broad policy dictating you know it's not two days it's that but there really is i have the ability whether i'm the ceo or i'm in a empowered leadership position where i can be thinking about these things so knowing that that flexibility is considered a benefit and it's something that a lot of people want and there are those moments that are irreplaceable in many ways if i have the opportunity to do that what are some of the ways i can think about that practically speaking to start to build that in and and what do you see there how does that work
2: yeah i mean you know you mentioned the seven seas, you know connection is actually one of them i call it interpersonal glue police was you know describing the importance of it uh, you know you know, it's like if you fight if ever at sort of doing a large offsite and I may be brilliant and it's all wonderful. If you do the evaluations, the best thing that people will say they got out of it was coming together with my colleagues. Always. And so what is it in a world where it's hybrid or even there's some people who are fully remote and yet leaders are still faced with I have to build some connection. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of the office, it's what does it look like? What are ways to build these connections. And so some of them are, you know, and I'll just throw out some examples for people to do. And again, there are a lot more in the book. Um, think about the concept of what I call a pre-meeting, right? You know, we, we started off today and you celebrated some things about your son. I mean, sort of those kinds of things sort of help build the glue. And so it's When, I mean, if you think back most meetings when we were all in the office, it was a 10 o'clock meeting. people would be rolling in at not 5, 10, 10. And during that time period is where these relationships built. And so what does it look like in a Zoom world, even where it's hybrid and you have some people sitting in the office on a screen and some, where it's like, if you're one minute late, it's like, sorry. If you're two minutes late, if you're three minutes late, it's like, really sorry. Um, and then if you just jump into the work, there's no time for that connection. So one of the things we suggest is be very conscious in these meetings and build in time. Yes, we still want you to start a nine o'clock meeting by 9.01, but literally the first 10 minutes and it's in the built into the agenda, um, is in terms of what I call this pre-meeting. And the only purpose of the pre-meeting is anything but the quote unquote work. Um, I contend this is also work and some leaders, it can just happen organically. It's just like, look, we're not starting the, you know, sort of, um, on task work, Uh, free flow conversations, other places, other organizations and leaders choose to do some version of an icebreaker or they get some cadence. And it sounds really corny, um, they work, you know. I mean, one of my favorite ones recently is asking people to share the last couple of things they bought on Amazon or on online. And, you know, you learn a lot of things, you know, like we did it once, and somebody was buying door handles. And so what did it? She explained, she's moving into a new place and she's renovating it, you know, another person's buying blo- you know, balloons for her kids' five-year-olds. So and just some of that um leaders can create a structure um to do it. And again, it's starting to th- Think about things that are going to work. Do you need to come up with a lunch grid? And again, it's if we're all in the office, we walk by, hey, you want to have op- you want to have grab lunch? Well, if people are coming and going or um, they're, you know, some are off some summer, summer and home, it's literally I mean, there's some teams we've worked with and it's come up with a grid. And, you know, once a week and, you know, it's time to schedule a lunch. And for people who are virtual, it's we're just going to spend some time, again, off task to build these relationships, basically an online version of office hours. Right. When you were in, in college, when they had office hours, you knew the professor was there from 12 to one every day and you didn't have to make an appointment. And so in this sort of current Zoom hybrid world, there are some some teams that it's known from 12 to one, this, you know, Zoom link is open and you could just stop in. And and again, only purpose of it is just connecting. There's some teams that in terms of building these connections, they do that same kind of thing, only it's specifically around a work topic. So, you know, it's, it's creating structure for how to connect.
1: So many good practical suggestions there for listeners as you're thinking about different ways that you might approach it. Uh, I feel the need to answer your question, Julie, but if I do, then Karen will know what she's getting for Christmas. So if, if uh, But this will air after that, so uh, I can tell you it was a kind of headphone. But I think along with that, I also got a taillight assembly for our son whose uh, taillight is not working. So, yeah. So there you go.
2: (laughs) Right. I mean, and it's simple and yet, you know, you can share something and the nice part about it is it's sharing without going to, you know, your deep dark secrets, which not everybody is going to want
0: to jump in and feel comfortable with.
1: So many good ways to do that.
0: And I would advise against that as a management side employment. (laughs) No one needs to go into deep dark secrets at work.
1: Oh, thank you for helping us manage our risk. But let's let's. I do want to uh, pull on your uh, uh, contract types of chops there, Felice, because one of the things that you talk about, uh, and, and again, let me uh, reintroduce you. If anybody uh, you forgot who we're talking to, Felice Uckelman, Julie Cantor. The book is Thrive with a, a Hybrid Workplace: Step by Step Guidance from the Experts. And uh, so, Felice, one of the things that that you and Julie do in the book is talk about the Um, the operating norms the policy guidance all of those things as leaders are trying to do this and I've had calls and emails from listeners in a wide range of software engineers attorneys who are navigating these things as they listen to the show or, or talk to us in our in the course of our work and the challenge they have with coming up with policies because I understand why people get stuck in is it two days, is it three days when that's not really the question, because it's easy to write a policy about two days or three days, much more challenging to enshrine intentionality in a So what are you finding and what are you recommending um, in the course of the book as far as the policies that organizations are setting up? What's an effective way to go about that?
0: So in terms of the policy, um, there has to be buy-in. And so the management team that develops the policy really can't do that in an isolated cocoon. They really need to engage a large spectrum of voices so that the policy makes sense. Second, um, folks who administer the policy have to understand the importance of consistency and the legal risk associated with not being consistent. And so um, we talk about a lot of those issues in the book but consistency is the key for avoiding litigation. And the folks who are administering the policy have to understand that legally, there may be reasons to deviate from the policy in the case of uh, a bona fide accommodation need. So um, uh, there has to be buy-in, and there has to be consistency. Those are the two key um, principles, I think, in policymaking.
2: I think the other piece that we see in terms of taking the organizational policy to reality is at what level who gets to make the decision um and some organizations you know the decision comes from the president the board um and they just pass it down and then it is the you know line managers um, who are then stuck with living them, and I think we all read about, you know, what happened when Jamie Dimon and his assorted colleagues said everybody's in here five days a week, and then the leaders are dealing with well, nobody shows up. Um, that is still happening, and so the challenge of I think you know senior leadership is coming up with a policy, which does, and this is where sort of Felice and I can talk. You know, Felice can add in the reality of the risk piece is where you give some control to the, the managers. The problem is, is that the three of us are, you know, managers, we're peers. And David, you're a little looser than I am. You know, I live five minutes from the office. I want everybody in five days a week, you know. And so what happens when you have this discrepancy? Um, and it plays out in also different people's perspectives. Um, I was working with a, a, a large bank the policy was X days per month, but people had to come in X days a month. And the head of fixed income had a salesperson who had moved to Florida during and he didn't want to come back. And he, you know, was the top leading salesperson. And what was interesting in this case was the head of fixed income did not want to make the suggest the exception. And Felisa can talk more about exceptions in a moment, um, because you know, he felt it, he could make up for the loss of income from the sales producer if, you know, compared to what it would look like to start having turnover and mutiny in his team. The president was ready to give the person the exception.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: it was really interesting, these levels of when you have a policy of where the exceptions get made and how. And Felice, why don't you talk a little bit about sort of when people are cutting deals versus? Well, I, cutting love deal I love this. I love
1: this question. Absolutely. So
0: cutting deals. Yeah, cutting deals is a problem because the lack of consistency is going to haunt an employer. Um, So if someone knows that a coworker does not have to report to the office the designated number of days or, or weeks a year that are required, you know, they're going to allege that there's favoritism and they're potentially going to allege the favoritism is based on the individual's protected class. So uh, that could become the basis for a discrimination case. And of course we want to avoid that. Um, the other thing that is uh, is happening now is um, while employers may say that their policy provides for flexibility and may tell employees you don't have to come to the office every day, if leaders favor those who come to the office every day, and uh, that is, you know, unfair. There was a recent article in the New York Times uh, which talked about, how hybrid work has resulted in a phenomenal number of women heading back to the workplace. So during the pandemic, women, uh, particularly women uh, in white collar jobs left the workplace in droves. They're back now in part because so many employers have flexible policies and the article was uh, uh, questioning whether these questionable policies would not come back and haunt women because they referred to the use of the flexible policies as a mommy track. That the only folks who are going to be availing themselves of the flexibility of working from home are mothers and that um, uh, their leaders would look down on the fact that they were doing so and were not in the office every day, and that they would get relegated to um, uh, less prestigious work, uh, not likely to be um, promoted, uh, and so uh, would be sidetracked and side uh, and pushed to the side in a different track. So, so employers really need to look at what's happening with the hybrid. Uh, policy to make sure that it is not unintentionally resulting in mistreatment of certain kinds of employees.
1: And so, I, I just getting real practical about that for a moment. Uh, how do you do that? Because <laughs> human nature and, and humanity being what it is, you know, we already talked about the building connections when you're in person and some of those things. And, um, and even as a leader, and I know there's a whole chapter in the book on, um, guardrails and avoiding um, proximity bias and all those kinds of things and if we're building relationships uh, that way and we build relationships people we know like trust all that kind of thing but I don't have the same relationship nor the potential for the same relationship how do we build policies that manage all of that in a way that is fair equitable inclusive all of the above
0: You have to train leaders you have to explain to leaders that they have bias everybody has bias and you know training is the under underpinning of every uh diversity initiative folks have to first understand that bias is part of our dna we have to recognize it and then stop it in its tracks and so um Training managers is critical in many arenas, but I think it becomes even more important when you're asking managers to now deal with folks who are working on a hybrid basis. It's tough. The other thing that's happening in in the world of work in our country is uh, managing folks in different generations um, is an incredible challenge. I'm sure you've discussed this uh, with business leaders on your podcast, David, but combine that uh, with the overlay of flexible work arrangements. And some folks may be old fashioned and may say, I don't think people you know, should work at home. When they're home, they're not doing anything but their laundry. So, you know, I like it the old fashioned way. Well, younger generations aren't going to stand for that. And so um, leaders, regardless of what generation they're in, have to recognize the challenges of being fair and unbiased, even though they may have particular points of view that are personal.
2: David, this is also a great example where sort of the beauty of where Felice is coming from as an employment attorney and where I'm coming from, from a business psychologist, right? So I'm working with leaders and saying, yeah, the reality, this is the reality. I hear you that so-and-so is not coming in and it taking more um effort to connect with them. But again, as I said earlier, right? If we're having a meeting and you know, Felice is on this interesting call, she's gonna walk down the hall. And if you're there versus I'm not there, um, you're gonna get the the call. And so the reality is, and this is where it ties to training, um, it's hard to, okay, so what are the skills and how are you going to compensate or, you know, make these things even out? The reality is she's going to go up down to your desk. And so this is really the piece in terms of helping leaders. What is a way in terms of equalizing and giving people different opportunities Um you know, I I mean, I think the piece is FaceTime matters. And so, you know, for many of the people that I'm working with, and this is, you know, it's frequently working women, you know, and and coaching the leaders um, is when you're in the office, you need to make sure those are the days you're not sitting in your office looking at your computer, you know, computer screen, you know, so take the time, like basically make this come alive, right? So if you're working and you're, on your computer at home and you come to the office and you're working there, then shame on you because you know the building, the trust and the engagement works two ways. And so it's not just the employer or the leader's responsibilities, it's the employee owning that responsibility. And so to what degree this training that managers need to train, this goes back to, believe it or not, the timing of a policy, right? So it's educating guys everybody's coming in on Thursday because this is when we're going to go through, you know, these plans or right this decision or this, you know, strategic planning and to what degree also do leaders need to educate their team? You know what, when you're in the office, this is not time to sit in, the, in your, um, in your cubicle and looking down. And, you know, the other thing that I hear is like, well, you know, I have to get my work done and I reframed them that, Building connections is part of your job, you know, or you hear like, I went to, the, to, I was in the office, I got nothing done because I was just talking to people all day long. Well, it's like, no, that is getting things done. So again, it's being with the reality of, you know, women, working women embracing this and their lives being reasonable and keeping them, but also training both the employees themselves, how to own responsibility and the leaders, how to coach their employees what to do
1: absolutely and and it's uh, as much as that might statistically be something that uh, affects so many working women i'm l- laughing that three of the folks who have called me about it were all bed <laughs> in this in these situations like it's definitely something we're all working through the uh uh so much intentionality comes into all of these conversations and uh from the way that you're creating the policy to the way that you're navigating your own interaction with people and Julie I, I just want to highlight what you were saying about that relationships are part of your work and that building those connections, building those relationships, uh, we call it land in the and. And I know that and is a, an important word in this and in, in, from the beginning of your book and uh, that results, whatever those, you know, KPIs that you're, you're achieving are and their relationships. And that from a management perspective uh, building that into how we're talking, how we're evaluating, how we're assessing performance, That's all part of the equation when we're doing this well, is we don't just leave all that as a, oh, it's nice if it happens and we only look at these KPIs. No, it is part of the KPIs that we ought to be looking at. You had a uh, um, chapter on, well, actually, let's do this. Before we go to this chapter, I want to make sure that we tell our listeners where to connect and where to find you. And and if you've got some things we can look at, there's so much in this book, we're not going to have time to get all, all to all of it. But I want to encourage listeners, find the book, connect with Julie and Felice, and uh, you will, if hybrid is anywhere in your reality or future, you're going to want to read this book. Again, Felice Uckelman, Julie Cantor, the book is Thrive with a Hybrid Workplace, step-by-step guidance from the experts. All right, Julie, Felice, where do we connect with you? Find out more about the book. What's the next step?
2: Um, Well, first of all, I've got a website, um, which is just juliecantor.com. Um you can email me of at, julie at juliecantor.com. I would love to connect with you on that website. There's information about what I do and helping people, like you said, organizations and leaders grow. There's also a link to the book. We also have a website for the book, which is just Thrive with a hybrid workplace. Um, so you know if you if you if you Google you know, hybrid and Eppelman or Hybrid and Cantor, it'll pop up.
0: I'm at uh, Jackson Lewis. Jackson Lewis is a national law firm. Uh, We represent employers and uh, leaders all over the country. I happen to be in our New York office. You can find me at jacksonlewis.com. We also, as Julie mentioned, have a website for the book, Thrive with a Hybrid Workplace. I'm also on LinkedIn, as is Julie, and you can find us there. I have uh, a unique name, so it's easy to find me. There aren't any other Felice Ekelmans, I think, um, and so uh, it's easy to find find me uh, on uh, the web or on LinkedIn.
1: Excellent, thank you for that. All right, so we were getting into this in the in the last segment uh, as we were talking about individually how I build the connections and take advantage of that in person time for what it's best at is getting those connections and. Building the relationships, doing some of that collaborative work that when we have those opportunities. Some other elements of navigating the hybrid workplace from the perspective of the individual. Somebody's listening and thinking about it. Chapter fifteen, you go into wellness and mental health, and uh, and I know we all experienced this in different ways through the pandemic and continue to wrestle with all these things now. And two of the the uh, topics that you address there are um, boundaries. And then get, you get very practical in ways to address that with boundaries, flexible schedules, and then you get into addressing Zoom fatigue and ways to minimize that. So I'd love to, uh, in as we are wrapping up our conversation, explore these topics a little bit. So for everyone listening, if you're in a hybrid type of situation, or these are principles that can help you even if you're not in hybrid, but... Let's talk about some of these. So Julie, I'm gonna kick it over to you to start start us off talking about boundaries, flexible schedules, and then we maybe we'll get into Zoom fatigue if we have enough time.
2: Uh, yeah, boy, is, this, is the podcast just starting? <laughs> <There's> <laughs> I know, we, in could, we could um, do a
1: couple but- more hours here.
2: Right, exactly. Um, but so I think just a piece about ba- boundaries, boundaries um, in general refer to two concepts. One is the boundary that the organization, the leader is going to create or not with the individual. And what is the responsibility? And again, the training for leaders to create some boundaries. When we were in lockdown, there were no boundaries. And for the matter, it was easy because there was nothing else to do. Um, especially if you lived in a the city, there was really nothing else to do because we couldn't go out. Um, and so, you know, how does it look like translating over in terms of when you know the the boss who's sending the proverbial email at eleven p.m. and expecting the response at eleven o five? So, so what does it look like in terms of again, sort of a practical piece, sending some communication guidelines, of boundaries about when you're communicating in what ways and setting some boundaries there. The other piece in terms of the mental health piece is as an individual setting um, their own boundaries. And it's really interesting. You know, I I'm at home and my computer and my kitchen are not that far apart. Um, I live in an apartment. And so it's easy, you know, when I finish work, which varies, right. And I'm over in the kitchen cooking, yeah, I could go back and, and you know, just check a few things. And so it takes, again, some training and intentionality. And this is where we work with people. It's like, okay, think if you were at work, what, what would leaving work look like? And so is it at home, like literally take your laptop and close it, shut off your monitor and sort of create some boundaries. Um, The the other thing, just again, is sort of an example of a boundary. Um, When we were in the office, boundaries are created because we physically had to go from home to work. And they were what I call these micro transitions, right? And so whatever your commute was, that was some time to, you know, switch modes and turn off family and turn on work and some transition. Well, if you're working at home, you don't have that, right? You know, if you're a working parent, you know, you say you wave goodbye to your kids, you give them a hug and you walk over to your computer. There's no transition there. The same thing even more so when they get home from school, you know, you're in the middle of a meeting and it's like, you, you know, end that and you run over. And so what does it look like to create some personal boundaries? Um, in, in sort of making these sort of micro transitions to be conscious, okay, and literally, like, you know, your kid or your partner comes home at this time. Well, stop work 20 minutes early and be conscious of getting some transition there in terms of some boundaries. Um, you know, in the book, we talk, you know, I talk about, you know, just in terms of what does it look like in terms of connecting uh, via Zoom and time. And this sort of also taps into. Come to consistency with communication. I think the other piece that, you know, we see is in terms of stress and how that plays out in terms of organizations and people acting out, if you will, organizationally. And this is probably where they're going to end up calling police because some problem may happen. Um, so you know, sort of how does it play out? to the organization and well as well as when people are bringing things and remember what Felice said it's like don't share too much um well people are sharing a whole lot more and so what does it look like for mental health to help the employees learn stress signs of stress and learn ways for they themselves to own it And then what does it look like for a leader who's getting dumped on the fact that somebody's dealing with, you know, their spouse just left them or, you know, something more significantly? And what does it look like for organizations to be building in things like EAPs? Because again, when they're handed too much, then again, they're going to end up calling police.
1: Yeah. And all that you're saying, I think the takeaway here is, as we are out of time and have to wrap up, is that. As you are either building your hybrid policy approach or living through it, if you're in the middle of it uh, or on the receiving end, or, or that's the reality you have to navigate, is not to take it lightly. That there are so many different facets and elements that go into the training, that go into the stress, that go into the the norms that you're establishing, the consistency of practice, the connect the intentionality of connection when you have the opportunities whether you're having to do that with limited face-to-face or no face-to-face is to give it the weight of what it really is it is not a small thing it is not an easy thing and it takes a lot of focus and intentionality and that is why felice and julie i so appreciate you being here and and sharing just a bit of the wisdom that is in your book thrive with a hybrid workplace step-by-step guidance from the experts Uh, Boy, I feel like, gosh, where has the type got? We have barely scratched the surface. You have so many more practical suggestions uh, in the book. And um, uh, we mentioned the seven C's of leadership, the path in terms of refining and implementing your hybrid work policy. Uh, Those C's for listeners that you can dive in and learn more. Culture, change. We talked a bit about connection, communication, collaboration, compassion coaching. There is an excellent chapter on boosting productivity in there uh, that I know that you're going to want to check out, as well as uh, we just barely touched on guardrails for success with regard to advancing environmental, social governance, diversity, equity, inclusion goals, uh, addressing bias, all those elements. There's so much in this book. So thank you for writing it, and thank you for the work you're doing, and thanks for being guests with us today.
0: Thank Thank you for having having us.
1: Uh, it's been our pleasure well listeners you have got uh, if you are leading in managing in a, a hybrid workplace i hope that you're taking away the notion of intentionality and yeah it's a big topic but you can choose one area I mean, one place that we talked about today, and maybe it's just intentionality and how you're going to build connection and with your team and help your team build connection with one another, and use that. Maybe it's paying attention to your policy. Maybe it's stepping up to your consistency and getting some clarity in your organization. Whatever it is, I encourage you to invest in that area and be the leader you want your boss to be.